I'm back. <laughs> I just had, I had a, <clears throat> I don't know if you remember the, the rock band from the 80s, ACDC, but the thing that's just been going through my head is back in black. I didn't, and when you're on sabbatical, you know, I'm still a priest, obviously, but I didn't always dress like a priest, but now I'm back in my blacks. And when you're gone for that amount of time, you kind of get pulled out of, like, your routine, your schedule. And when you get pulled out of that, you know, it's like it's a, the saying is, distance makes the heart grow fonder. And you start to look back and you realize what an incredibly huge part this church is in my life, what you, you are in my life. And I have indeed missed that. And I'm grateful to be back. Every other uh, parish does something wrong. And I've, as I was, I've been watching, you know, the live streams. So I got to watch you guys do it wrong, too. You know, when we, when we stand at the offertory, we're all over the place. So here's what we're going to do. <clears throat> Every other parish in the area does it wrong. But we're going to do it like them, so at least we're uniform. So when we go to their parishes and they come to our parishes, we're doing the same thing. And it's what you think. When I say pray, brothers and sisters, everybody stands up. Remember that? Okay. Then we're good. One of my favorite quotes, I think I may have shared it with you before. One of my favorite quotes of all time is the American poet T.S. Eliot. He said this, One of the greatest tragedies of life is to have an experience and miss the meaning. One of the greatest tragedies of life is to have an experience and miss the meaning. If there's an experience that everyone in America has, but almost everyone misses the meaning, it's Christmas. We have completely secularized Christmas, made it just another materialistic holiday where we get together, just get out of the rat race, get a day off, get as many possible gifts as we can, and then back to the grind. We have missed the meaning. But we're in Advent, so I don't want to talk about Christmas. I'm going to say the meaning of Christmas for Christmas Day. Come back. Stay tuned. The meaning of Advent. Because few people understand Advent as well. And there's a ton of symbolism that I want to talk about that leads up to Advent. Or Christmas. In Advent. That I don't think any of you know about. Now I could be wrong and this homily could totally bomb. Okay? But I've been right at the 4 and the 8.30. So here we go. This is going to end big participation points this morning. Okay? Lots of opportunities. First. You know the Christmas wreath? Why? What is the point? Because everything in Christianity, you guys, everything that we do has meaning. We don't just like, hey, let's take some trees and kill them and put them in our homes and then wrap them in circles and throw them on our door. That'll be fun. Do you know why we have the Christmas wreath? Do you know what it symbolizes? You can raise your hand. I'll call on you. It's been a while. We've been through this, though. It's, ever, it's made from evergreens, okay? The evergreens don't die during the winter, so it's a symbol of the resurrection. Good. What else? It's circular. It's never-ending. Good. So the eternity of God. What else? You're out? You only got two? Come on, help them out! Yeah. So I can't hear you. The crown of thorns. Good. There it is. You have the, it's in the shape of a crown. It's made from evergreens that don't die. And it's eternal. It's circular. The wreath is a symbol of God. You didn't know that. Number two. Christmas lights. Why do we put them up? 
just to make our houses look nice? I think that's why most people put it up and they try to outdo each other. But what do they symbolize? The light of Christ. That's why we put lights all over the place is to show people that the true light is coming into the world. All right, here's one for you. Mistletoe. Get your mind out of the gutter. Do you, this, this one blew me away. I didn't know this one. Does anybody know mistletoe? It's wild. Mistletoe is actually a parasitical plant. It lives off of trees. And what it does is when it attaches to the tree, it wraps its roots around the branches and pulls the life from the tree so it can live. It's not about kissing people. Mistletoe is a symbol of us being grafted onto God. You are the vine. We are the branches. John 15, without me, you can do nothing. That's why we have mistletoe everywhere. Here's one for the kids. Candy cane. Do you have any idea, kids? I, hold on, I'll get to you. Do you this is good. Tell them you know. Do you have any idea how much symbolism is in the candy cane? It is unbelievable. All right, we'll start with Caleb. It's in the shape of a shepherd's staff for Jesus the Good Shepherd. Good. J for Jesus. Good. Oh, we're gonna we got a bunch. You get it. Gavin. The red and the white swirls, body and blood. Good. What else? Ooh, there's one more. Actually, there's two more. Who's raising their hand? I can't see. They're blocked. What is it? You just going to keep your hand up? (laughs) The candy cane is broken and meant to be shared. Eucharist. And finally, this is the one that really got me. I didn't know this one either, kids, so don't feel bad. I'm a priest. I get paid to be Catholic. (laughs) It tastes like peppermint. And you know why it tastes like peppermint? Not because they were just like, hey, what should we make the candy cane taste like? Oh, peppermint, great. No, it tastes like peppermint because if you remember at the crucifixion, it said they took a branch of hyssop and they put a sponge on it, soaked it in wine and put it up to his mouth. Hyssop tastes like peppermint. And so it's a reminder also of the crucifixion. How many of you learned something this morning already? Y'all better have your hands up. There is so much packed into these symbols. We have all of these things and we miss the meaning. Teach your kids these things, parents. Teach your friends these things. But the biggest one, I think the biggest symbol we have at Christmas is what? The Christmas tree. Now, there are a ton of stories and legends around the Christmas tree. I'm not going to tell you all of them. I think that we can agree on one thing. It's probably for sure. It came from Germany, probably. It was either St. Boniface when he cut down the tree of the pagans, or it was Martin Luther. Protestants are going to say Martin Luther. Catholics are going to say it was St. Boniface. Here's the point. I found these uh, legends, and they were written down. And this is the truest account I can find. They were called the Mystery and Miracle Plays of the Middle Ages. And the biggest one was Christmas. And the miracle and mystery plays were put on by priests and monks. 
And they would get on stage. Because remember, most people are illiterate. So they had to teach and catechize in some way. So they did it through drama. And they brought up, they had, on, they had Adam and Eve up on stage. And then they had somebody dressed up as a serpent. And then they had a tree. Now it's winter in Germany. What kind of tree do they have to put up there? An evergreen. But Adam and Eve are up there. So that tree symbolizes something else. So they had to put little red balls that they, hang, they would hang on the tree to symbolize what? The fruit. They also hung little tiny wafers on there as well to symbolize the Eucharist. The Christmas tree, you guys. Not only is it a sign of life and resurrection because it doesn't die. It's a sign of the fall and the redemption of humanity. And then we cover it with lights because Jesus is the light. And we put gifts under it. And you know why we put gifts under it? Why, Veronica? Jesus is the greatest gift we can have. And who brought Jesus gifts? Mm -mm. The wise men. This is you guys. We don't just make this junk up. It's ours. All of it is ours. And they've taken it and hijacked it. Take it back. I'm yelling. Sorry. It's been a long time. (laughs) There's always more than meets the eye when it comes to Christianity. Something that looks like it's on the surface, there's always something deeper. And I want to just talk about one one person from the readings today, specifically the gospel. It's a woman. And I think a, a lot of people miss the meaning of this woman. She's not just a woman of history. And she's not just the mother of God. She is the greatest honor of our race. The perfect one. The Blessed Virgin Mary. And the church has us turn our eyes to her today. In this final week of Advent. Because she's the great symbol of Advent. The one who waited perfectly to welcome the Christ child into this world. But Mary gets attacked. Our Protestant brothers and sisters say that we worship her. We don't worship her. We honor her. We love her. We revere her. And here's the thing, you guys. Do you think Jesus wants that? I do. And you know why I think he wants that? Because if you were friends with me, and my mom, God rest her soul, I'd want to introduce you to her. I'd say, you guys, you're like my best friend. You haven't met my mom yet. And if you said, I don't want anything to do with your mom, I'd say, I don't want anything to do with you. Because I love my mom. And my mom wasn't perfect. Mary is. You think Jesus wants us to love her? Of course he does. Of course he does. But some people say, in in loving Mary, you take away from loving Jesus. Oh, really? Because in my memory, who did Jesus give his mother to? John. You know what we traditionally call John? The beloved disciple. Which means John loved Jesus more than the others. So the one that loved him the most. God is mom. You're trying to tell me that loving his mother decreases our love for him? No. It increases our love for him. But as I said in the beginning, there's always more than meets the eye with Christianity. 
And today in the gospel, we have something that gives a hint to us about the Blessed Virgin Mary that is awesome. And I bet you don't know it. When Mary comes to Elizabeth, what does John do in Elizabeth's womb? He leaps. He leaps for joy. That should immediately trigger something in our brains back to the Old Testament when somebody else leaped and danced for joy. Do you remember who that was? King David. And what did he do? Where did he do it? Before the Ark of the Covenant. You guys, Mary is the new Ark of the Covenant. She is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. In the Ark of the Covenant was the presence of God, you guys, for the, for the Jews. Do you remember what was in the Ark of the Covenant? Last chance for participation points. I already called on you. Aaron's staff, close. And when you say Old Testament, I think you mean the Ten Commandments. And what was the last thing? The manna. The bread from heaven. Now I want you to think about this, my friends. Mary has in her womb the bread of life. Jesus. The fulfillment of the manna. Mary has in her womb the eternal high priest who will replace the priesthood of Aaron. And who is infinitely more powerful than Aaron. And Mary has in her womb Not the Ten Commandments, but God's Word itself. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Mary is the Ark. How high did the Israelites hold and esteem the Ark of the Covenant? The highest. It was the most amazing thing. Why? Because the Ark was so beautiful and so well adorned? No. Because it held the presence of God. The ark was not the presence of God. What was inside the ark was the presence of God. And if the Israelites loved and reverenced the ark that much, how much more should we? The true ark of the covenant. The fulfillment of the ark of the covenant. Mary is meant to come into our lives. And here's the thing. In the Old Testament, when the ark came into people's homes, you know what happened? Their lives were blessed. They were filled with joy. And if we allow Mary into our homes, she will bless us. Now I'm going to tell you how to do that. You sit back and you're like, Father, how do you do that? It's very simple. When I was in college, all I did every night before I went to bed is I said three Hail Marys. You can do this with your kids. You can do it yourself. If you can say the rosary every day, awesome. But if, if, you, if you can't, you fail, and you want to keep it simple, three Hail Marys each night. And you just say this, Mary, lead me, provide for me, and show me your son. I did that every night of my life. And I went from a college idiot to a Catholic priest. My life has been blessed immensely by the new Ark of the Covenant. Mary, our mother. And if you do the same, and you welcome her into your hearts, into your homes, into your families, then I truly believe this Christmas, you'll have an experience, and you won't miss the meeting.